What's up, people? Coming to you a little late. Had some technical difficulties, but hopefully we'll get through this. So, we're about 45 minutes away from day two of the Sweet 16. And I wanted to come to you real quick in case I get them right. I didn't want you all to say I did it after the fact and don't give me my props. <laughs> so last night, a three in record, UFAU for spoiling that, you know, but as always, we always got some quick notes to start the show. Coach Micah Shrewley of Penn State fame, State Penn, has accepted the job in South Bend at Notre Dame. Why is that significant? Because Mike Bray stepped down after coaching Notre Dame for what felt like 45 years. So this is going to be their first time with a new head coach in a long time. Michael Shrewsbury, I think, is a great coach that is going to go on to do great things. I don't know if it'll be at Notre Dame. Hopefully they appreciate him, but we'll see. In the meantime, congratulations, Michael Shrewsbury. You might know him, might know him from the Butler Championship game days under Brad Stevens. He was an assistant on that team. After he left Butler, he went on to Pope. He joined Stevens in the NBA, in the NBA at the at Boston. You know, he became an assistant coach on Brad Stevens' staff again and became the head coach at Penn State in 2021. Now, what I want to know is how many of y'all are watching the NIT? Who's keeping up with the NIT? Are you looking at scores? Are you actually watching the games? Because I'm here to tell you, the NIT has reached the final four. In one matchup, you got the University of Wisconsin from the Big Ten against CUSA Zone, North Texas Green Eagles, the mean green, soon to be in the American Athletic Conference starting next season. In the other matchup, in the semifinal, you have the UAB, that's the University of Alabama at Birmingham, a.k.a. Trent Dilfer U. You know, if CUSA on their way to the AAC, you know, playing against Utah Valley State from the WAC. I was talking to some people at work today about it. Of course, they didn't watch the NIT or know anything about it. And they told me, like, hey, you must be stuck in the past. I thought the WAC died in 2008 or something along those lines when Boise went to the Mountain West. And I said, look, man. I need you to get up on these internets, all of the internets, all of them, and see that in about a year or so, the WAC is actually trying to bring schools up to play FBS football. So you are out of the loop, my friends. So, you know, and if you were paying attention to March Madness, you heard me talk about Gonzaga going to beat Grand Canyon, where Grand Canyon plays its basketball in the Western Athletic Conference. So. With that being said, um, the last Big Ten team to win IT was 10 in 2018. You know, the last mid-major, it just depends on how you define mid-major. Memphis won it in 2021. Want to go back further? George Washington, the Colonials, a.k.a. the River Horses, won it in 2016. If that's still not good enough for you, Tulsa won it in 2001. So that's about as far I'll go back to that. And as far as your low majors, schools that are too small to probably be considered mid-majors, Princeton won the NIT in 1975. So... K-State survives. How about that? Mr. March Izzo gave K-State everything that his team had, and it just wasn't enough because Marquise Noel with the NCAA record, 19 assists to go along with his 20 
you know, uh, breaking the record of Mark Wade of UNLV that has stood for about 36 years. So there you go. We got history again. Marquise Noel, all five foot eight of you. Steph Curry is six four, maybe six three. Stop taking shots from the logo. You are not him. As good as you are, you're five eight. I don't want you taking shots from out there. And you, as you saw, AJ Hogger got his hand on one of those shots. So stop doing it. Once Michigan State brought the trap, he picked them apart just like he did Kentucky. No look pass here. No look bounce there. Marquise Noel is a basketball player, ladies and gentlemen. He's just five foot eight, but I don't know what that's going to mean for him on the next level because they're starting to phase those players out due to the analytics and being exploited on defense. While he is in college, on Sports Reports is order, we are going to appreciate that man. His running mate, Keontae Johnson, with 22 and six boards because they are the best duo in that region. You know, that does not mean that Michigan State didn't show up, obviously. Mr. Clutch, not West. I'm talking about Tyson Walker. He started out two for 10, but he hit some big buckets late. And then in overtime, of course, you know, he missed some buckets, you know, but even the Clutch missed shots every now and again, you know. But Marquise Noel, his 18th assist, which was the assist that tied the record, was on an alley-oop to Keontae Johnson with about 52 and a half seconds left. And then the assist that broke the record went to Ishmael Musa from the line with about 12 and a half seconds left. That proved to be the game winner, if you will. You know, of course, Marquise Noel added a layup at the end that didn't really do anything, but piss off people that bet Michigan State to cover. So, you know, you know how that goes. But this game turned into a pinball in the second half. So K-State shot 56% from the field for the game, 42% from three. Michigan State shot 49% from the field, 50% from three. Joey Hauser showed up. A.J. Hoggard showed up. It just wasn't enough. You know, Noel was the momentum killer. It seemed like whenever Sparty got back into the game, took the lead, tied it up, it was always him making a play, either scoring or passing the ball. And with that being said, we had a scary moment where he was ankle. He was helped off the court. I almost put my bracket in the fireplace, but he came back. But while he was out, Michigan State went on a 9-2 run, so I got a little nervous. I was also a little nervous because Kansas State missed five out of their first 10 free throws. They made the last six to make it better, but you can't miss half your free throws, Kansas State. And I love the dynamic between Jerome Tang and Marquise Noel, you know, the point guard and the coach, just like quarterback and coach. Jerome Tang wants timeouts. Noel says, not now. Watch me work. And then it worked out. K-State is moving on to the Elite Eight to play FAU in Madison's Garden. We'll get to that later. There was an offensive rebound with about 540 left by Naquan Tomlin. He tipped it a couple of times to himself. By the time he secured it, the defender was behind him, and he had a wide-open layup. And it was just one of those plays that a few inches here or there can determine the game. Kansas State is now 5-0 and in overtime, which just shows their intestinal fortitude, and it shows that Jerome Tang has this team clicking and following his instructions. So, you know, the whole time overtime was going on, all I heard was Alexander Hamilton playing through my head. Who lives? Who dies? Who tells your story? This is March Madness. The madness is here. So with that being said, 
um, Spur missed a free throw with about 39 seconds left. They got fortunate on that play. They got lucky on that play in the first place. They were fortunate that the foul occurred before the shooter went in shooting motion because it was a three-point attempt, but the foul was called on the screener. So, you know, it was two shots instead of uh, three, and it ended up being a one-and-one instead of a shooting foul. So, therefore, you know, there you have it. You know, um, they got the one shot, missed it. And it meant everything, you know, Kansas State was able to get a three-point lead instead of possibly having a tie game or a two-point lead where Sparty could have got a better play late. You know, and it wouldn't be Marquise Noel the hero if he didn't strip the ball on Sparty's last attempt to win or to tie the game and send it into double overtime. So Kansas State survives, ladies and gentlemen. Now. I got to eat a little crow. I picked UConn to win, but I've been telling y'all about UConn always blows it whenever we give them the expectation. But UConn might just be back. They are in the Elite Eight ready to match up with Gonzaga, not UCLA. Gonzaga, because UConn put the mollywop on the Razorbacks. You know, Nick Smith played a little bit better. He ended up with 11 points and two rebounds, so he still didn't really do anything. But Anthony Black showed up like I thought that he should have. You know, it just wasn't enough. This, UConn came out like gangbusters from the opening tip and said, hey, we heard what 2-5 said about these slow starts, and it's not going to happen tonight. So in the first half, you know, at halftime, I brought up Debo Davis and I brought up Ricky Council and they shot a combined two for nine in the first half that won't get it done. Arkansas as a team shot 10 for 30 in the first half also wasn't going to get it done. So there was no suspense in this game at all. As soon as it got to halftime, UConn had a 17 point lead. And it was insurmountable. Arkansas was not going to bring it back. And here's a couple of more first-half stats that showed me that this was not going to be a game. So UConn went into halftime with a 15-4 to rebound advantage. They ended up plus 12 on the board. Not going to that way with Sanogo down there. And also UConn had 10 assists to 4 at halftime, and it finished 22-7. to so they expanded their assist lead on Arkansas and ended with a bigger margin than they started with at the half. So Arkansas, you know, moves on to next season. Nick Smith is probably going to be in the NBA. You know, he's a projected top five pick. I don't know if he hurt his stock. You know, you would like to think so, but, you know, I'm not a scout. So, you know, I think he's still going to go top five from everything that I'm reading. He's getting these Drew Holiday comparisons, but it's all about UConn. Mr. Hawkins came through with 24. So it wasn't just the Sonogo show. You know, UConn just put it on Arkansas like they stole something and the game was never in doubt. Which brings me to Tennessee and FAU. The Owls are in the Elite Eight. Never won an NCAA tournament game for this season. Isn't that remarkable? And they are now 34-3. and So they are not, I repeat, are not Cinderella. FAU showed that they bonked. Tennessee did all the things that I said they were going to do. They leaned on them. But FAU had to do the little things. They didn't get a lot of transition, like I said. They weren't necessarily that great at the free throw line, like I said. But at halftime, they went into the half with a plus five rebound margin. So that's how they stayed in the game, even though they had shot 14 in that half from three. The good news for them was that Tennessee is inept and shot 31% 
as a team and went on about a fitted drought to end the half. My God, come why, Libier, come why, scoreless in the first half. And all I did was confirm that Rick Barnes is not the coach you want to lead your team in the tournament. He's got that Matt Painter in him. You know, this had nothing to do with my theory about the refs calling a different game for Tennessee. They just were not very good. And for Rajon Lewis's sake, homie, I'm hoping Josiah James gets up out of there and goes somewhere else. He has another year of eligibility, and Rick Barnes does not deserve to coach that talent. You know, um, FAU only had two free throw attempts in the first half, and they had nine turnovers you know, compared to Tennessee's too. So it was just the little things that they did to stay alive. And they took the lead about six minutes left. And before I blinked, it was a 10 point lead. And I knew it was over because Rick Barnes cannot coach an offense to come back from 10 behind. Maybe Bruce Pearl could have did it. Tennessee fans. I'm sorry for the that I had to, but you know, it's just one of those things. Rick Barnes is not a March coach. I mean, the guy lost in the second round with DJ Augustine, and Kevin Durant, what do you want from me? You know, you should want better from your coach in spite of what you want from me. And then the game of the night, just like we thought it would be, UC and Gonzaga. I don't know how these teams do this, but I told the story about 2006 and um, Adam Morrison crying on the floor, right? We almost had it again because UCLA went into the half with a 13-point lead. They had 15, I'm sorry, they had 10-2 advantage in points off turnover in the first half. Drew Timmy was the only person that showed up for Gonzaga. He's got one more year of eligibility as well. Um, he scored 15 of Gonzaga's first 19 points and announced himself that we are not going home tonight, and if we do, it's not going to be because of me. But something odd was happening. UCLA were hitting all these shots. I said, who is this team? Did Aaron Aflalo all of a sudden get some kind of eligibility back? Is Kevin Love out there? Like, what is going on here? So I was recording last night trying to bring this to you all. So I was watching the game. I was in there. I was going to get play by play. And then, you know, technical difficulties took over. So, you know, um, UCLA at one point had a 10-point lead. Gonzaga went on an 8-0 run. Then Gonzaga finished, I'm sorry, UCLA finished that off with a 13-2 run to go into halftime. Gonzaga with nine turnovers at the half, UCLA with one. And remember, I gave you the number, 75. UCLA scored 76, and it still wasn't enough. But they tried to come back because Gonzaga came out after the half, and it took them about, eight, nine minutes to take the lead, you know, come all the way back from 13 down at the half. And this is what Gonzaga does. I would love to see Gonzaga against Alabama, you know, fireworks galore. But UCLA came through because Gonzaga was it. They started missing free throws. So UCLA started coming down the court. Jaime Huckers, like he just started taking over. You know, Tiger Campbell went much better. Amir Bailey hit some timely shots. So it was looking good for UCLA, and I was biting my fingernails because my bracket was about to be in trouble again. Still, at this moment, I have all four of my final four teams left, so I was biting on those nails. But then Julian Strother, he shot it from the S in March, the first S in March Madness, with about seven seconds left. And everybody is trying to credit 
through. Like he wanted him to shoot it from there because they could have got the long rebound. I was looking at that play. There was no way Gonzaga was going to get that rebound. So that man just laid his kahunas on the floor, took the shot to send UCLA home. So congratulations to Gonzaga. Your reward is a matchup with UConn. So, you know, uh, at this point, I don't know what to tell you, you know, but, you know, so, of course, if you know my bracket or whatever the case, you know, I'm going to take K-State over FAU and I'm going to take Gonzaga over UConn, even though I don't feel as confident as I did previously to that. But we got some games tonight starting in about 29 minutes. So I got to get through this, y'all. Bear with me. We got Alabama. The overall number one seed, and the, they're in the South region playing against San Diego State, the Rock Fighters. So, Alabama leads, the, or they're second in the nation, you know, scoring margin as far as how much they beat their opponents by. So, the first 10 minutes of this game is going to be interesting. Can San Diego State's defense generate enough pressure, contest enough shots? to make Alabama sweat a little bit. Brandon Miller still has not been seen. And I know he scored, I think it was uh, 17 points or 19 points the previous game, but he went five of 17. So that ain't going to get it done. You know, San Diego State beat America Sweetheart, who I told you was a pick, Charleston. And then they followed it up with Furman, who I told you were going to beat Virginia to get here. And then you got Alabama with the victories over Corpus Christi. And my beloved Maryland Terps. So that's how they got here. How are they going to stay here? Alabama holds their opponents to 28.1% in three-point attempts. San Diego State just happens to shoot 35%. So imagine my surprise when I saw that Alabama only shoots 33.7% from the three-point line. So, you know, and San Diego State gives up 28.8. So whoever can hit the three is probably going to win this game. Javon Quinterly, I am challenging you. And it's funny because Alabama, this is one of those magic number games. I need San Diego State to get to about 68. This is a factor when you consider that their leading scorer averages 13 points a game. 68, you know, they might have to keep it in the 50s, to be honest with you. But I'm going to say 68 is the magic number. If San Diego State can get to 68, I think they can win this game. I don't think they will win this game. I don't think they do get the 68 points. I think it's going to be something along the line 75 to 58, you know. Um, so San Diego State does hold their opponents to 63.1 points a game. Bama averages 82.3, which is good for fifth in the nation. And all these stats, by the way, are from NCAA.com. You know, I'm not making this stuff up. But, you know, I just think that Alabama has too much firepower because they can get it from so many places. And they also, you know, are the rebounding team. You know, they get the rebounds. So if they do miss a lot, of shots they're going to be able to get rebounds san diego state's bench is going to be a factor because they average 27 points per game so they need to share the ball they need to move that ball around get alabama out of position make alabama chase you around and hopefully you can find an open guy that's the strategy you know stay the course you know don't play outside of yourselves because you got here for a reason so do the things that got you here and try to take the and force your will on Alabama. I don't know if it'll be successful, but I'm picking Alabama. 
you know, Houston and Miami. Miami's got a couple of problems here, folks. So first, props. This is their second consecutive Sweet 16, looking for their second consecutive Elite Eight. A Drake had in the first round beaten Miami. They beat Drake in a close game in the first round, but then they disposed of Indiana. They played with them for a half, let Indiana back into the game, and then they destroyed them all over again. Shout out to Isaiah Wong with the big shots. Uh, but Miami, they don't force a lot of turnovers, which I think they have to do, you know, and they give up more points per 100 possessions than anybody left in this tournament. And that's courtesy of Luke Lindholm of Suze.com. So not only do they not force a lot of turnovers, they give up a lot of points. That is a recipe for failure, especially when you're playing against a team like Houston, who doesn't even have a reputation for scoring. But I will tell you what Houston did do. They beat Northern Kentucky in the first round, and they beat Auburn in a de facto road game in Birmingham, Alabama. And how did they do that? They were down by 12, and they won by 17. How does that work? So Houston, 30-3 on the season, coming into tonight with the same record that FAU had. And I tried to find a commonality between their losses. So they lost to Temple by one point. They lost to Alabama by six points. They lost to Memphis by 10 points. The key was the guards having off games. So two of the three guards, either um, Clark, Sasser, or Shed, were off together. Two out of the three had bad games in all three of those games. So that's Miami's key here, but they're not good enough defensively to cause that to happen. But Texas may be. Xavier may be in the next round, but not to. Houston, this how this is how good Houston's defense is. They're two and two when they allow 70 points. So that's four games all year out of 36, one ninth of their games for those fractions and those statisticians out there that they gave up 70 points. But if they foul Miami, they could find themselves in trouble because Miami shoots 77.6 from the free throw line as a team. So Houston, seventh in the nation in offensive rebounds. I talked about the rebounding. You know, uh, just under 13 offensive rebounds per game. So, Ormir, Norchan Ormir, this is on you. You and your front court buddies, I need you to step up and keep Houston off the boards if you want to make this a game. So, Houston by seven is my pick. We'll see what happens. Then, I wanted to call FAU America Sweetheart, but probably going off of the demographics of America. I'm going to call Princeton America's sweetheart. So 15-seeded Princeton with victories over Arizona and Mizzou to get to this point. This is the third straight year that we have a 15 seed in the Sweet 16. Oral Roberts did it first in 2021. And then New Jersey, stand up, you're in the building. St. Peter's did it last year. And I told you, Everybody wants New York back. Everybody wants St. John's. Hofstra looked good in the NIT. Everybody wants New York. Where's Syracuse? Jersey got some good basketball people, you know, and they play Creighton, who's the sixth seed, who I had in the Elite Eight in my bracket, playing against Alabama for a right to the Final Four, and I think that holds true. I think Princeton just can't stop Creighton, because same like Miami, they don't force a lot of turnovers, you know, but how does Princeton win this game? They hit some shots. You know, these two games that they've played in this tournament is a tale of the shot. And Arizona, the winner against Arizona, 
Princeton shot four for 25 from three, but they out-rebounded Arizona, surprisingly. And then against Moo, they shot a little bit better, 12 for 33, still not necessarily stellar, but better. You know, that's 36 points from three right there. And they out-rebounded Missouri by 13. So they got to get on these boards. The problem is Creighton doesn't miss very much. So this game is literally just going to come down because I expect Creighton to be consistent. I expect Creighton to come out and score. But Prince is just going to have to match them. Can they do that? I don't think so. I got Creighton by 11. Princeton is a 15 seed. So therefore, you're going to be a 15 seed. You know, they don't get this far normally. You know, like I said, it's the third straighter, though. So that could be changing. We'll see what happens. But, you know, Creighton doesn't foul very much and they don't turn over the ball very much. So Princeton's going to have to do something that they don't typically do, which is force a lot of turnovers. But you know what? Even if Princeton does go home, they are here, and that matters, counts for something. And I'm not going to shame you all if you lose this game. If Princeton wins this game, I'm trying to tell you right now, you know, if we get Princeton against Alabama, man, that's going to be a matchup. And, you know, what's even funnier is if San Diego State somehow beats Alabama, can you imagine Creighton and San Diego State? That's oh, I'm sorry, Princeton and San Diego State. That's going to be like the Nets and the Spurs in the finals. You talk about a ratings killer. I'm sorry, but that's what it's going to be. And then we have one more game tonight. You know, we're about 21 minutes away, so I'm trying to get this out to you. So we got Xavier and Tess. I don't know what was going on down in Greensboro. I read a couple of articles that was trying to explain all this. They were talking about the balls bounce too much, even though they were getting stuck, which tells me the balls weren't bouncing too much. But, you know, um, everybody shot subpar down there including Xavier, who shot 67.8 from the free throw line, which is even worse than the paltry percentage they shot during the regular season. You know, um, Texas is going after Xavier, Carr, Tyrese Hunter. I love the backcourt. But Dylan Disu, you know, averaging 22.5 and 10 in this tournament. So he shoots 71% from the floor. So maybe if Xavier holds him to 60%, they'll have a chance to win this game, right? So they played twice in the tournament before, 1990 and 2004. They split those matchups. None of that matters right now. I just thought it was a cool thing to talk about and bring up real quick. So to gear, Xavier struggled with the Kennesaw State Owls, something about those Owls this year. And then they beat Pitt, who didn't belong but got there. And then Texas, on the end, on the other hand, beat one recommended by dentist, Colgate. And then they took out... Uh, state pen in the second round so for the fact that they struggled with state pen the way that they did Xavier reminds me of a better version of that team you know with a better coach even though I like Micah Shrewsbury you know Sean Miller is back in Xavier so just going off of the coaching matchup I'm going to take Xavier to win this game by two or three. It's going to be a late game, maybe a buzzer beater, maybe like something along the lines of Gonzaga, UCLA without the theatrics because they're not those type of teams. But with that being said, Texas, do not move on from Rodney Terry if you lose this game. He's already gotten you as far as Chris Beard would have got you. He got you a two seed. He won the Big 12 tournament. He put the demolition on Kansas twice within a week and a half period and won the big 12 title uh, tournament title. So Texas, 
Rodney Terry, keep that man as your head coach. I feel like he's done enough to earn the job, especially considering the mess, the mess that he took over from with Chris Beard biting people you know, and getting away with it. So, you know, Kansas, Texas at this point, a lot of people are hoping myself kind of included that they met Houston on Sunday because the winner of that game will not only go to the final four, but as I've told you before, the final four is Houston this year. So I want that game. Both of those teams are going to claw and scratch. Houston always says Texas avoids them, whether it's football or basketball. So I would like to see that matchup, but looking at the coaching matchup here, I think I like Xavier Xavier in close games. They have nine losses this year. Seven of those nine losses were by five or less. So they are tested in, in crunch time, you know, and I don't think that'll phase them unless they have to shoot free throws. Xavier is only shooting 29.4 from three in this tournament. You know, I think that goes back to Greensboro. I think they'll shoot a little bit better tonight. You know, but Xavier is the benchmark of consistency. Not do they hit 7.4 threes per game, but they give up 7.4 threes per game. So can Texas get enough to can open up the floor these two but if, if those shooters aren't hitting shots these two's going to have a long night so like i said the next thing Sule boom say it with me Sule boom is a 40 percent three-point shooter so i expect him to get back on track tonight and of course xavier has adam kunkel who may be i think he's the key to this game for xavier as far as their offense goes if kunkel plays well you know, he only averages about 10.6, but when he plays well, Xavier plays well. So that's the key for Xavier. So just to recap, right, we have Alabama, we have Houston, we have Creighton, and we have Xavier. We went 3-1 and one last night. We'll see what happens tonight. And, of course, the Elite Eight's here. The madness is here. So tomorrow, K-State FAU. You know, UConn Gonzaga, we're starting to whittle down here. Regional finals, the winners go to the final four. So I am 2-5, a.k.a. Mike Wilson, Sports Reports Zord. We'll be back shortly. And I just sign off. Have y'all have a good night. Enjoy the tournament. We'll be back here for the Elite Eight. And I love you, America. And we're out. soon. Peace.